Hey friends, before we get going, I want to introduce you to our guest today. It's Frank Viola. He's a conference speaker, blogger, and best-selling author. He helps serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply so they can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. Frank's blog, frankviola.org, is regularly ranked as the top five of all Christian blogs on the web, and his podcast, Christ is All, reached number one in Canada and number two in the U.S. on Apple Podcasts. Let's get going with the show. Welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Drew and Tim, two pastors discussing practical details about life, leadership, parenting, and being more centered around Jesus first. The goal of this show is to help you keep your eyes on Jesus through the busyness of life and clutter of your schedules. Now, join us for the conversation. Well, welcome to another episode of the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Drew and Tim. The goal of this podcast is to help you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus daily through our conversation and dialogue. Drew is here with me, and today we're joined yeah. by Frank Viola. Frank, how are you doing? Welcome. I am great. I'm happy to be on. Well, it's so good to have you on. <laughs> I had you on one-on-one on Season 3, Episode 17. People can check that out in this podcast feed. And so this is the first interview we've done, Drew and me together. We're yeah. excited that you are Very. the first one on and we get to talk about your book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Right. And this book, I'm reading it right now. If you're on the video, you can see a copy of it. And 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. I want to say it's a super helpful read. It's, you know, the chapters yeah. aren't too long. They're short, but also jam-packed with information where you kind of get in, get out. What do I need to know to move on? And being in ministry, I can tell you, I'm like, yes and amen on these chapters where either I've experienced it or I've seen someone else's experience, what you talk about. Yeah. And so I'm super excited that people get to hear about it today, maybe for the first time. And so we want to highlight five specific laws out of the 48 and ask you some questions on them. We didn't want to just try to hit all 48. Like yeah. we just didn't want to. <laughs> Thank <laughs> like you. Like a six Thank hour you. podcast, you know, but right. no, nah, we'll do that. We'll try to hit that another time, but I, I'm excited that we get to hit what we do. It, and like Tim said, much based off experience. Tim, why don't you kick us off, man? Yeah, you bet. So the first law we want to talk about today is law number six in your book. It's about avoiding burnout. Now, Drew and I talked about this in episode 17 of the podcast, and it's easy, especially in ministry, I think, to just go and not take your time to actually recharge. And you talk about how you built regular times of retreat into your schedule. And so, Frank, I just want to know, what have you seen or some warning signs in your life that you became aware of? when you're not taking that time to retreat and recharge and maybe be on the verge of burnout? What do you look for? Yeah, no, that's great. It's a great question. For me personally, what tends to happen is if I am running out of steam, and let me preface this by saying something. If you are operating out of the power of God rather than your own natural energy, which is a whole nother topic, all right, right. the Lord will enable you to have enough energy to complete a task. Now, that could be where you're speaking for an entire week. I've had uh, events where I was speaking two, three times a day in a given week, and I was not exhausted at all. I was not exasperated. And I don't have natural stamina, okay? I can't even run a mile. <laughs> <laughs> but if, you're, if you have switched sources and you're operating by God's power, you can go a long time and do an awful lot and not get burned out. But once that mission has been accomplished, then the physical body and even the emotions are going to are going to feel 
uh, the weight of what you had just done. And for me, I know that I need to rest when my, I'm getting mental and emotional fatigue. Mm. And I can just sense that I am tired, not just my body, but my mind and my emotions. Yeah. And that's when I need to do what the Lord did. And that is retreat. And he either went somewhere near water or he went near somewhere. He went to a desert or he went to a mountain. Those yeah. are the three landscapes of the sacred, as my friend Leonard Sweet calls them. And so I live in Florida, so I, I like to retreat near water. <laughs> well, there you go. But yeah. I was just reading even today as we as we got ready to get on this podcast, some of the life of Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts was the instrumental gentleman during the Welsh Revival at the turn of the 20th century. And he had an incredible ministry of the presence of God, the felt presence of God being detected by people who were around him. And his preaching brought many people to Christ. He was involved in divine healing, laying hands on people, seeing them healed, uh, casting out of demons. That revival only lasted a short period of time. Yeah. We're, we're talking two, three years. And what happened was he was so exhausted that he had a mental and an emotional breakdown. Wow. And it took him a long time to recover from it. Mm. In fact, it altered his life and his future. So I see a lot of people in ministry because I work with pastors and teachers and people who travel in ministry. I see a lot of them not giving any attention to the needs of their physical body, their mind, and, and their emotions in this area of retreat, reset, recharge. And there's a whole trail of ministers, <laughs> both men and women, who have yeah. burned out. And it's because they have not paid attention to this principle. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You're right. There's a there's a trail of a lot of pastors that have hit that. Not just having, like you talked about, the emotional physical breakdown, but also when we're going, like you said, to the wrong source when we're relying on ourselves and not Jesus. That's when we can make some bad decisions. And so I find that really not just informational, but incredibly convicting, even in in myself in starting to ask myself, okay, how are you structuring your year? How are you structuring your calendar? Mm -hmm. When might you need to really focus on not just, oh, well, this is where it aligns with the kids schedule, but where mm -hmm. might you need to really build that in and make it a priority? So I very helpful. I know to not just me, but to our listeners as well. One of the things that stood out to me when reading the book is law 16. I expect misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. And one thing, <laughs> the reason that stood out to me so much is because the hardest thing that I've probably battled just in my short 37 years on earth here is being okay with being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. That's been like a big challenge for me. And for us to recognize that Jesus was misunderstood by some of his closest followers. And when we present the gospel, there's going to be people that are with us. There's going to be people that need to think a little more on that. There's going to be people that are convicted. There's going to be people that don't associate with that at all and walk away. And, and so my question to you, Frank, would be what kind mm -hmm. of encouragement might you offer our listeners and our leaders who are trying to further the gospel while still battling that feeling of being misunderstood? 
Well, I have a great example, and this is something that I believe the Lord showed me, and it was very helpful to me. And that was in John 21, when Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, and he makes this very strange statement about how Peter would die. And what he said is 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 interesting. It's kind of coded. But if he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Okay. Well, what happened was <laughs> the disciples heard him say that. If I want him to remain alive until I return, right? Those words, if right. I want him to remain alive until I return, right? they misunderstood it and reinterpreted it to mean that Jesus was going to say he would never die until the Lord came back. And I'll read it to you from John 21, verse 23. It's in the book. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, meaning John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will, if I will, if I want him to remain until I die, what is that to you? Now, and... I mean, you could see how someone would filter that if they're not listening carefully or if they're incapable of nuance. If I want, if I happen to want him to remain alive until my second coming, well, that's really none of your business is what he was saying. And they heard him say, well, he's never going to (laughs) die. He's going (laughs) to remain until I come back. Now, if you have the perfect communicator Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh being misunderstood, and this is not the first time, by the way, he was misunderstood often, then how much more are we who are imperfect communicators going to be misunderstood? So that's the encouragement. It doesn't matter how clear you are. It doesn't matter how perfect or accurate your statements are. There will be some people who will misunderstand you. And I hope we can talk about spiritual filters because this kicks in uh, on this subject. Maybe we can do that at the end, Um, but it does apply strongly. But I want to come right around and say this too. Just because somebody misunderstands you, the default setting should not be, oh, well, they're just dense, they're dull, you know, they have dark hearts or they're not very intelligent. That ought not to be the response. The response ought to be this. What could I have said? How could I have put it to make it clearer? Because Mm. we can always learn, even if the feedback is unwarranted and even if it's harsh, even if it's inaccurate, we can still take that in humility and learn how to be a better communicator. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is, to recognize that no matter how perfect we may speak, we're still going to be misunderstood. And that includes yeah. writing if you're a writer. So so we have to have both. You know, on the one hand, we're going to be misunderstood, period. But on the other hand, we can take the criticism and the feedback, learn from it, and improve. Yeah. That's great. I think that's great. And one of my favorite chapters is John 6, when Jesus says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. You cannot have no part of me. And, and he let everyone go. Like he didn't try to explain it. No, what I really mean is I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. And then, <laughs> right. you know, he just right. let them go. Right. He didn't worry about losing followers in that moment. And he even asked his own 12 disciples, does that make you want to go too? 
And so yep. I think there's a balance between the truth and then love. And then other times Jesus reached out to like the Samaritan woman, right? And he explained himself and he was one-on-one. And other times it was more of a, a shotgun approach, you know, and let the chips fall where they may. And I think when we get misunderstandings from other people, that can lead us to a potential state of offense. Like, oh, why did you leave? Mm. Why did you say this about me? And so I think that's a good segue into law 10, which is Mm. refuse to take offense, Mm. which is so important in ministry. And Mm. Drew and I talked about this on a previous episode as well, as how can we be unoffendable as believers, as Christians, as ministry leaders? And I mean, just now you can jump on social media and be offended in five minutes of being on there if you're not careful, right? <laughs> That's so, really easy. Two minutes. Real, two, two minutes. minutes. Really easy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so people in the church are not immune to being offended. And you say injury from believers will come, but you can choose whether to take offense. And I love that. And so mm-hmm. talk about some of the process that happens with us personally when the action happens where we could take offense versus moving to our mind, where we process it and move forward with the love of Christ. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is a a pertinent lesson uh, for m- people in ministry, but for all Christians, uh, especially during this day, because we live in a culture of outrage, where mm. it is laudable and noble to be outraged But outrage is not a fruit of the Spirit, and neither is taking offense. Jesus was many things, and one of the things was he was unoffendable. You could not offend him. Now, you can disappoint him, right? You could hurt him physically, (laughs) but you you couldn't offend him. And this comes out of Proverbs. We have a statement. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you allow yourself to be offended, you are not cut out for the Lord's work. Because let me tell you something, you're going to be mistreated. We talked about being misunderstood. Well, you're going to be misrepresented, which is Mm. beyond being misunderstood. Right. You will be attacked. I mean, if you're doing the Lord's work and you're in the center of his will, you're going to have massive opposition. And if you do not have thick skin, And to be able to take that to the Lord and leave it at his feet and not take it personally, then you're going to become embittered and or you're going to get in the flesh. And what that looks like is you're going to defend yourself, you're going to begin attacking other people, and you're going to get on that fleshly carnal level, which is going to dissipate any of the Lord's power and life in your life. So one of the things that has helped me is when I receive something that would be you know naturally offensive a couple things i remember that behind it is a sovereign god who allowed it to come into my life right mm-hmm. and this is important because many christians the default setting is whenever they're criticized or are under fire they go right to well this is the devil and you know and it may be the devil, but if you peel back the, the the layer there and you pull the curtain back, it's a sovereign God behind it. Mm. Satan cannot do anything without his permission, without the Lord's permission. And if you ask the question, who crucified Jesus? Well, the answer is the Jewish leaders, in effect, handed him over to the Romans. So it was the Jewish leaders who did it. All right. Well, You ask the question again, who crucified Jesus? Well, it was the Romans who put the nails in his hands and his feet. 
Well, if you ask the question again, who killed Jesus, it was the principalities and powers in the unseen realm who knew if what they were doing was going to have the effect it had, they would not have crucified the Son of God. This is out of 1 Corinthians. In other words, Satan was behind it. But then if you peel the onion back more, the scripture tells us over and over again, it was God the Father who delivered his son unto death. Yeah. And so the answer to all those questions is yes. And so the first thing I do is I recognize I have a sovereign God who has put this in my life. He's allowed it to come in my life. He's permitted it to come in my life. And then I remember the words of Jesus related to John the Baptist. They were actually to John the Baptist. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Mm-hmm. And that not only means being offended by God himself, by what he does, but also by what he allows. And the other thing, too, is I began to try to empathize, all right? Maybe this person who said this ugly thing, you know, just got verbally assaulted by their spouse. And so now they're lashing out at someone and I just happen to be in the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. In yeah. other words, it's an issue they have. Right. It's something that they're dealing with and they're acting out. And when someone acts ugly to you, wherein you were will be attempted to be offended, the problem is really with them. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's no excuse to be nasty to other people. And so all that does is it puts a bright neon target on their body saying, I have issues. <laughs> and yes. so if you can empathize, it takes the sting out of it because you've reframed it in the light of God's sovereignty, the weakness of human flesh. You don't take it personally. And you know that when you get in this business of the Lord's work, People are going to be offended, some of them. Others, their lives will be changed. That's great. You, you mentioned not you mentioned to be unoffendable. And you also said resist bitterness. And being a pastor, that's maybe the number one thing that I have conversations about. Just people who mm. have been hurt by the church or they've been hurt by Christians and they've now decided through that filter that God must be a really messed up God, right? And we've associated the behavior of Christians, the behavior of churches and church leaders as the behavior of Jesus. Now, us three, we know that's not the case, but what I've found is like even this week when Tim and I are on Facebook fielding comments and things like that, like (laughs) people's first reaction is like you said, it's usually angry. It's usually getting to a place of being offended. It's usually from an action standpoint, they just want to be angry. So I love the idea of resist bitterness. And you talked about this in chapter 23, and that preaches really well. Okay. Like resist bitterness. Just tell everybody resist. I love that. But I'm curious with all these people finding that usually the action item is being angry, do you have an actionable item that you could provide our listeners that would say, hey, when you're in this position of feeling angry, feeling frustrated, feeling bitter towards someone else or towards something or towards an event in your life, what is something like tangible they could do that would be taking a step towards becoming unoffendable? 
Mm. Yeah. And bitterness is poison. It is poison. I mean, it's one of those things that if you choose to drink it, and I use that word carefully, choose, you're going to slowly die. It is the acid that will kill the life of a Christian. Now, the offense or the thing that happened to you, okay, it may be horrific. We don't escape pain. You know, pain is a very real thing. Yeah. And not just physical, but emotional pain, particularly. So pain is inevitable, but bitterness is always a choice. And we can choose to allow it to come into our lives. And when we do so, we coddle it, we feed it, we pet it, and then we share it with others. And that ends up defiling them. Mm. Hebrews talks about this, chapter 12. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up in your heart to cause trouble and defile many. It's contagious. It it defiles you. You know when a person is bitter when there's just spewing venom all over the place about another person yeah. who hurt yeah. them. They have not overcome that. They have not gotten free from it. Here's what I do. I shift the terrain. And I talk about this in the book. I give a prescription. I recognize that everything that has come into my life has first passed through the hands of my God before it reached me. And so I accept it, whatever, I'm talking about painful things now, unjust things that cannot be defended, all right? I see them as emanating from ultimately a sovereign God, meaning he allowed it. Not that he approves of it, not that he endorses it, but he allowed it. And I think if if we can find one person who should be bitter, it's (laughs) Jesus of Nazareth. I mean... Here, the yeah. guy is being lied about all throughout his life. There were rumors being spread about him, false rumors, many rumors, hurtful, painful, har- harmful rumors that, in effect, destroyed his reputation. Then he's put to death by his own people, the people to whom he came to die for. And I'm speaking of the Jewish leaders who put the Romans up to crucifying him. Well, when he came out of the grave, he was not spewing venom, you know? <laughs> he was not saying... What they said in that trial was wrong. Yeah. And let me set the record straight. You know, he recognized that all of it came through the hands of his father. And another gentleman that, and I think of when we endorse things like this is Joseph in the Old Testament. His brothers, great people. people. (laughs) Yeah. The wife of Potiphar, he's accused of rape. He's accused of all sorts of things. You know, his brothers trashed him and left him to die. And then he's put in prison unjustly. And when he meets his brothers at the end of the story, which is remarkable, I mean, it's tear worthy. He says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God, my God meant it for good. See, one of the things about being a Christian, being in Christ, following Jesus, is that all of the crooked lines that come into our lives, even those lines that we create ourselves, we have a God who bends those lines and turns it to our advantage. Romans 8.28 is the bedrock passage. All things, that's both good and evil, that's both ugly and beautiful, all things work together for the good. 
And so what I do is I, I, I do several things. I shift the terrain in my mind. I recognize that this ultimately has come from the hand of God. He permitted it. I recognize that the, the pain really is his instrument to break me and brokenness is a necessary ingredient for being used by God in power that has mm. impact. Mm. And so the more brokenness in me by yielding to the cross as God works in my life and losing and surrendering that bitterness, surrendering that anger, surrendering that that impulse to get vengeance, God is making more room for Jesus Christ in my life. And that wow. translates into life and power for God's people. This is a paraphrase of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, every person who's in ministry needs to read that. It is through death that we enter into life and that we release life to others. And a practical thing that I do in answer to the question is I acknowledge the pain. I don't repress it. I might pour my heart out to the Lord about it. Yeah. Share with him about it. All right. And then I will actually, sometimes if it's really severe and I just cannot shake it, I will get out a sheet of paper, gentlemen, and I will write down the names <laughs> first and last of the person or persons who brought that pain and uh, anguish into my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I will even write what they did that caused the, the horrendous pain. Yeah. And then I will raise it up to the Lord and I will tell him out loud that I am releasing them into his hands. Mm. And then I'll burn the piece of paper. Wow. And I'll watch it turn to ash. And I will take on in my own thinking, in my own heart and mind, what Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on to those things that are ahead. And I will not allow my mind to go back to it. So those are the practical things I, I do in my own life. And I do talk about all of this in the in that chapter, law number 23, resist bitterness. That's really good. As we face bitterness from people, a lot of times that comes in criticism. And you talk in Law 15 about how we need to distinguish between the critics that are in our life. And I think it's mm -hmm. important that when we receive feedback, we can distinguish that and not consider it all from either a negative place or even all from a positive place. Because, you know, we know we have the trolls online and oftentimes we can dismiss them or block them if we don't have relationship with them or if they're just saying blatantly false things. But I like how you distinguish supporters, those that are for us. And I'm curious, Frank, how even if we disagree with feedback that comes from supporters in our life, how do we properly process what's been said and assess whether we should change or not? For example, if Drew was to give me feedback, he's in my life. I, you know, we have relationship. If he gives me feedback mm. I don't agree with, how can I process that feedback and not just dismiss it? Mm. Well, you don't dismiss it because it's coming from a person who is in your corner, you know, who is behind you who cares about you. So you you don't dismiss it at all, really. And sometimes feedback from supporters, or I would say constructive criticism, yeah. is invaluable. Invaluable. I mean, in my own life, the feedback that has come from people who support me has been a treasure because mm -hmm. I don't see everything clearly. And they'll point something out. It could be as small as hey, this article you just sent out had a misspelled word. It could be as tiny as that to saying, 
well, you should have put this over here in the beginning and this at the end, or to saying, you know, you could have said that differently and it would have been more impactful or anything else. But I always assess it. So, So in answer to your question, you want to take it as a loving gesture and really as a gracious thing from your friend because it's not easy to point things out. You know, most people will just ignore it, you know, because they don't want to hurt your feelings, especially if they care about you, right? Right. (laughs) So it's easier just to let it go. So if Drew says something to you and it's constructive criticism, I would treasure it. I would listen to it. If you don't really see eye to eye, if you don't really see it, then I would just put it on the shelf and move forward. And maybe in the future you will, or maybe in the future I'll say, you know what? I I agree with you now. I should have never said that. Mm. So that's the way I would do it. You know, I would just, but I would be like a sponge. I would, and I would even ask questions like, okay, so you don't like how I put it. How would you put it, Drew? Mm. And kind of throw the ball back to them and ask you to give more specifics. That's something I do often. If I receive constructive feedback from, from a supporter that I don't understand, I'll ask questions. It's really good. I really like that multiple things that you've talked about today, Frank, have been from this posture of wanting to learn and really just being curious about what the other person has to offer. I think that's a posture that we could all really learn from, especially in this time where there is a lot going on social media. There are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of people who are offended immediately and outraged immediately. And so what a way to be different, what a way to lead through that kind of conflict and really honestly and truly in all empathy go, Hey, I, I value you and I value what you say. Like, how can I get better? How can I learn from you and really lean into that type of conversation? I think that's great. Yeah. And I'll add this, nothing tests the spiritual maturity of a human being than the way they react to criticism. It is a monumental test on how spiritual you are. And if your reaction is defensive or angry, then brother, sister, there's a lot of flesh operating there that you are not aware of. You're not in touch with. You may not be as spiritual. You are not as spiritual as you think you are. So, you know, it does expose, you know, where we're at spiritually with the Lord, how we respond to criticism, especially if it's from supporters and objectors and even trolls, because I've watched ministers crash and burn because they touched that tar baby, so to speak, and got sunk with them or allowed them to sink them in their ministries. So yeah, this is, there's a lot of tentacles to this subject. And it's important that we distinguish between the three because all of them require a different response if we're walking in the Lord. Hey, Frank, I know we're closing on time, but I know you mentioned earlier about Christian filters. Why don't we end on that? What are Christian filters? Well, this is something that is bewildering (laughs) to me. In the natural order of things, a filter is a device that a substance passes through in order to remove unwanted material. Strainers, for example, you know, you run some liquid through it and it removes whatever it is you want to remove uh, from that substance. Well, in a similar way, a spiritual filter, what it is, it's a strongly held assumption or belief that unconsciously reinterprets what a person hears or reads 
when it conflicts with their own previously held assumptions or beliefs. And by that, I mean it reinterprets what they hear or read to confirm to the person hearing it and reading it what they already think. Right. And I'll give you an example of this. In ancient Israel, the commonly held belief and assumption of virtually all Israelites in antiquity was that when the Messiah came, he would destroy all of Israel's enemies and make Israel the predominant nation in the world. So they thought, all, I mean, this was universal, that the Messiah would unseat Rome, Israel would be the triumphant power, and rule over the pagan nations. And another common belief that the Jewish people held was that the Messiah could not be killed. And if a person who claimed to be the Messiah was crucified by the Romans, it would prove that they were not the Messiah, and instead that they were someone cursed by God. Because mm -hmm. to be crucified meant to be cursed by God. And so this is why whenever Jesus would talk about the nature of his messianic reign and his crucifixion and his resurrection to his disciples, they could not compute it. Their minds could not calculate what he was telling them. And so they filtered his words. They filtered his words through their own previously held beliefs and assumptions. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why. Whenever he would talk about his reign, their minds would go to the restoration of Israel. And then they would say things like, well, who's going to sit on the Lord's left and right? <laughs> and, right? And virtually every time he would predict his death, they would start jockeying for position. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be in the chief seats? Who's got the box seats? And that's right. where their mind went because they filtered everything he said. And I can tell you this, gentlemen. And if you're in ministry, if you speak or you write, I think you will relate to this. And everyone who does so listening to this will as well. As an author and a speaker who offers a different perspective on many different subjects in the Christian faith, the filtering effect happens all the time. All right, I'll give you an example. I'm speaking at a conference on the glories of God's eternal purpose or the explosive, jaw-dropping, earth-shaking gospel of the kingdom, which we talked about last time, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Some people in the audience are blown away, turned upside down, They'll testify that the message destroyed the foundations of everything they were doing. Another person, and this has happened to me more than once, would say, I am so excited. My pastor preached the same thing last week. And whenever this has happened, I would say, really, that's remarkable. I've not heard anyone else preach this particular <laughs> message before. I would love to hear their message. Is it online? And in every case I can remember, they say, yes. Yeah. So here's, I say, send me the link. They send me the link. And brothers, I am dumbfounded. <laughs> Except for the fact that we both use the words kingdom, service, God. <laughs> Jesus, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, there was nothing in common with what we shared. Two completely different messages. How can that be? The person filtered everything I said through the lens of their own assumptions and beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have had this happen with readers. Uh, you know, my earlier work discusses the organic expression of the church that reveals the glories of Jesus Christ. 
And even to this day, even though I wrote those books 2008, 2009, and, and I've spoken on it many times in, in those years, people will say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. We had a group of Christians meeting in a home, and Joey played the guitar and led the songs, and everyone talked about how their week went, and then another was leading a Bible study, and then we ended with prayer. Well, that's not at all what I'm talking about. <laughs> when I say the organic expression of the church that reveals the glory of Jesus. And even though I have taken pains to paint as clear a picture as I could, unless a person has seen it with their own eyes, they can't help but filter it. Yeah, this is right. true for most people. So the filtering effect to me is it's dumbfounding. Um how a person can hear another human being say something and then those filters kick in and they they run it through that grid of what they already believe and know and totally reinterpret what you've said it's just uncanny yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense have you ever had that happen before either of you (laughs) yeah i'm just laughing the whole time you're talking through it because i'm just like (laughs) i'm just like yep 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 absolutely Absolutely. Completely. And honestly, like, so I grew up a pastor's son. So, you know, I grew up with my, I would argue my own kind of filter and Mm. had to rediscover myself Mm. even before I'm now teaching the gospel. I had to rediscover for myself like, oh, okay, there are some things that I really need to get foundationally locked in and understand. And then this is a real relationship. And I, that requires like real effort and and real obedience and you know mm. actually a prayer life you know and not just belief you know not just going yep he's out there but actually being committed and consistent in that so yeah i i not only identify from the standpoint of i think i've had to break down my own filters but also as someone who communicates week over week you recognize, man, there are some people based on their backgrounds, based on what they've heard before, based on what they believe and ex- have experienced that aren't really in line with now what we're talking about, but feel like they are. And so we got to dive deeper into that and really get a, an understanding because, you know, one of the biggest things for me, and, and I said this on our last episode we released, I want to make sure if someone's getting saved that they understand that. I want to make sure if someone's getting baptized, they understand that. I want to make sure if anybody's taking a step of faith, that they understand what that means. And also, that's going to allow them to better understand what that might cost them down the road. So it's important for us to get it right. So I appreciate you speaking into that. And it's right on. I hope it encourages and explains and clarifies (laughs) uh, the experience that many people have and will have if you're listening to this and you're involved in ministry of any kind, whether it's speaking or it's writing, this is going to happen. Now, this is sort of a subset to the law about expect misunderstandings, but it's more of a nuanced dynamic. And I have come to, as I look back on my ministry and even to the present day, I have come to see that when you are preaching Christ or you are sharing the deeper things of God in a way that's novel, fresh, it's different than the norm, okay? And and I'm not really right now thinking about preaching the gospel to unbelievers. I'm thinking about preaching to God's people. If you're presenting something that's out of the box, but it's 
thoroughly scriptural and, and spiritual and on target, you're going to have three different reactions. One, you're going to have people who are absolutely going to be de- devastated in a good way. In other words, their foundations will be shaken and they're going to have a transformation of some kind. They're going to meet the Lord in a new way at some level. That's the first one. And that's the one we all want. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But the second one is you're going to have people who are going to disagree with you. They're le- legitimately going to disagree with you and they're going to say you're wrong. You know, they're going to criticize it. I would much rather have that because that means they understood what I was saying. Okay. Then the third one, and that's the third one. And the third one is to filter it and say, oh, I totally agree with everything you said. My pastor preached the same thing last week and it's nothing like it. You know what I mean? I'd rather have the genuine disagreement because at least you heard what I said and understood it than the filter. Brothers, I don't have, unlike most everything else I treat in the book, all the different laws, I give a solution. I give something practical to overcome it or triumph over it or to experience it if it's a positive law. I don't have a solution for the filters. I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe five, 10 years from now, I'll have a practical solution. All right, here's what you do to break and destroy the filter. But at this point in my life, I do not. I can't help but think of like Instagram filters and this new one going around called the glamour filter where everyone looks like they put on, you know, pounds and pounds of makeup. And it's like, that's not real. That's not true. And so when you're talking about filters, I can't help but think about social media and these apps that make us look like something we're not. And oftentimes we put a filter on the church and on the Bible to make it look like something it's not. Wow. And so to get yeah, to know Jesus for who he is and the call he's put upon our life to die to ourselves is oftentimes something that gets filtered out in order to make it more appealing. And so, yes, very um, good. Very good. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being with us and let everyone, yeah, let absolutely. our listeners know where they can connect with you. Yes. Frank Viola. That's Frank V-I-O-L-A, just one word. Dot org and everything's on there two podcasts all the articles the books courses etc so people want to get into more of of my work and 48 laws of spiritual power is also on the site if they just go to the books link and they'll see that's the most recent book that has been released from the time we're having this conversation but i appreciate it very much awesome Well, thank you again. Thank you, listeners, for being here. And until next time, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thanks for joining us on the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Drew and Tim. Don't forget to hit subscribe. If this episode blessed you, please share it with a friend. Check out the show notes for more ways to connect with the hosts of the show.